Welcome to What's Working in Washington. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Today, Lyft, how the rideshare program is growing in the D.C. region. I mean, I was the first operations hire here in the D.C. area. Um, I didn't have an office. I didn't have a team. All I had was a little budget, um, and I was responsible for growing that. So I think that was my path. That's my narrative. Um, but I think as an entrepreneur or, or a want-to-be entrepreneur, you can enter um, at any stage along that spectrum. One of the things that I love when I meet a new entrepreneur is learning about how they became willing to take on risk. Our next guest, Stephen Taylor, is the general manager for the Mid-Atlantic for Lyft, but he, he's a non-traditional guy, and I love his background. So, Stephen, draw a an analogy for me. I, I understand that you started out as a naval aviator landing planes in the middle of the night on aircraft carriers. How did that prepare you to become an entrepreneur? Yeah, good question. So I, you know, I started, uh, I went to college at the United States Naval Academy. And upon graduation, I was selected for the Naval Flight Program, spent two years in the pipeline learning to become a Naval Flight Officer, uh, then spent three years in Japan, uh, flying uh, E-2 Hawkeyes um, out there, uh, was in, in Iraq uh, in 2003. And I think that the, the biggest parallels you can draw are, you know, the ability to, to make decisions in the absence of perfect information. Um, the ability to lead people, uh, not through intimidation. Uh, common misnomer is in the military, you can't just tell people what to do. You really truly have to inspire a, a very uh, diverse um, group of people to around a mission uh, and convince them um, that this is something that needs to be done. Uh, and that's really important in entrepreneurship as well. And I think thirdly, uh, risk. Um, I, I think the the Oftentimes, when you're sent on a mission, whether it's you know innately an, a, a high-risk mission or not, you know it, the flying an airplane, you know around an aircraft carrier in unfamiliar territory is is always inherently um, dangerous and risky. And I think, but not too dissimilar, maybe not life-threateningly risky, but not too dissimilar from being an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur um, at a large company and 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 taking risks um, and not having a roadmap or not having a clear precedence in what to do, not having a manager tell you how to get something done. Um, so I think those are the parallels. I'm going to go to your current gig in a moment. But before we go there, knowing about your background, one of the things that struck me was you've been an entrepreneur. You, you've involved starting different businesses after you left the Navy, but you've also been an angel investor. Mm -hmm. How do you see the two work together? How does somebody who's an entrepreneur become an angel investor? And what's the difference? Um, so I went the other way around. So I actually started investing uh, as an angel before I got into entrepreneurship. Uh, and maybe even prior to that, I was doing entrepreneurship at, at my con the consulting firm I was working for, PricewaterhouseCoopers. And I think once you have the bug of entrepreneurship, once that's inside of you, that burning desire to create something and not just maintain, um, I don't think it matters where you're, you, you, you enter the, that, that world. Um, you know, I think at PwC, I was given the opportunity to create a new service offering around organizational resilience, um, which was something that I did in the military. Uh, and so I was able to create a service offering at the consulting firm I was at. And then with angel investing, it was sort of a next step in that direction. I was able to insert myself um, as an advisor, as a consultant to a small startup company to help them grow and scale. Uh, and then when I moved to my, my current position at Lyft, um, I was able to take a, a well-funded startup. And at the time, this was 2015, I was employee number 400. We were well-funded, but still you know, not where we are today. Um, and, and, and able to take something from, from nothing. I mean, I was the first operations hire here in the DC area. Um, I didn't have an office. I didn't have a team. All I had was a little budget. Um, and I was responsible for growing that. So I think you, that was my path. That's my narrative. Um, but I think as an entrepreneur or, or a want-to-be entrepreneur, you can enter... Um, at any stage along that spectrum. Many people, when 
I talk with them about entrepreneurship, associate entrepreneurship with being the first employee or the second employee and starting a business. You just told me that uh, you joined Lyft when it had 400 employees. Explain why and how joining a larger company can actually still be an entrepreneurial activity. Yeah, uh, I think that when companies need to innovate, companies you know don't just grow by doing the same thing over and over again. They don't just scale because more people are, are aware that more people are buying their products and services. Uh, companies um, remain relevant um, and resilient through changing times and changing markets by innovating. And so you need you can't just have people at large companies doing the same thing over and over again. You need to bring in. Um, creative minds, people who are willing to take risks as entrepreneurs are, uh, and try new things. And you have to have leadership at the top that are open-minded and, and willing to experiment and invest in the people uh, and resources to make those innovative changes. But they don't just to have to hire people that are entrepreneurial. I'm, I'm assuming that you have to do things structurally to give people the ability to be entrepreneurial. What, what are some of the things or some of the ways that Lyft helped you be entrepreneurial in a large organization? I think that the number one thing is to encourage encourage people to be entrepreneurial, to encourage people to take risks, to think outside the box, to think creatively and, and not be afraid of failure. Um, it's, a, it's a common theme among startups or would-be entrepreneurs to talk about, you know, move fast and break things or, um, you know, fail, fail fast. Uh, those, are, those are trite things to say, but they're really hard from a leadership or management perspective to tell your employees to do and then not fault them for failing. Um, so I, at Lyft, we have a, a really strong culture uh, that's driven by our leadership team. Um, and so when the boss, the, my manager says, you know, we, we, need a, we need an unlock, we need to, to get more drivers on the road or more passengers or increase awareness or, or grow market share in, in your region, um, I, I, he's encouraging me to try new things. And uh, not everything that we've done here in the DC region has, has worked. Um, and when things don't work, we take those lessons learned. We share them internally as, as sort of badges of honor, right? This is something, this is a bold move we took. It didn't work, but here now you don't have to repeat the same mistake. Um, and when things do work out, you're, you're, you know, you're given the same amount of praise. Um, the amount of praise of like this work, this is great. Let's replicate, let's scale and let's continue making big bets. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you can't just penalize, you can't not penalize people for failing. You also have to reward them for success. You have to mm -hmm. compensate them. You have to promote them, pat them on the back. You know, you touched on culture. It would seem to me that particularly in the ride sharing industry right now, we're seeing a lot of uh, opportunity within it. But it, it appears to me when I look at Lyft that your company's made a, a decision to have a particular type of culture and have that be a business discriminator. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, you are. And this is this is not just in light of recent events. This is uh, been core to who we are since the beginning. Lyft was founded in 2012. Um, our, our mission was to uh, to connect communities. Um, our, our original motto was your friend with a car. Um, we were the first on-demand peer-to-peer ride-sharing service. And this understanding that um, it's not a private driver that you're getting you to take you from A to B, that you're actually getting someone in your community, your neighbor, your your brother-in-law, your friend, your colleague, your coworker um, to drive you. That That's really important and foundational to, to, to what we are and who we are. And that's also who we are as employees. A lot of our first employees were were drivers. Um, a lot of the, the the staff that I have on my team now are former drivers. Um, and I think that, you know, when you focus on uh, community and when you focus on inclusion and you focus on diversity, uh, I think you can accomplish really great things. And it's not just messaging. Um, it's true. If you, I've been a part of the military and nonprofits and large firms and, and, and startups. Um, and I don't care what kind of organization you are and what part of the country um, leadership matters, culture matters. You know, as they say, culture eats strategy for breakfast. It really does. 
Well, Stephen, I really appreciate you coming on the show and telling us a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey. I assume it will be inspirational to many people who think that the only way to be an entrepreneur is to start something from scratch. Thanks, Thanks. for joining Thanks for listening to What's Working in Washington, and a thank you to our sponsor, Montgomery County Economic Development Corporation. Their business development team can help you find the best talent, an ideal location, and the latest in market and business intelligence so you can do business successfully in the greater Washington region and Montgomery County. Your business success starts with MCEDC. Connect with them at thinkmoco.com. Support for this podcast comes from University of Maryland Smith School of Business where students learn to harness data to meet tomorrow's challenges. More information about the Smith School MBA program is available at rhsmith.umd.edu. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan. Our online writer is Barbara Ulrich. Music provided by two D.C. region bands, Two Car Living Room and The Sunbathers. And let us know who you think we should be talking to on this show Tweet us at at What's Working DC. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for listening. <laughs>